My name is Dr. Tram Jones. Starting in December 2019, my wife and I lived in Haiti. Recently, given the current insecurity, we are out of the country, but we continue to support and work with our partner clinic, Lesquati Moon, with its 53 employees on the ground in the city of Quadibouquet, Haiti. Wow. Let me tell you, this is a podcast I've delayed writing for more than a year. I even put the title in quotations because this is such a controversial issue. It allows me to act like I'm responding to this question and not asking it. The question, why is Haiti so poor, is the political third rail of working in Haiti. And yet it's the question that I get more than any other. And I'm probably asked the question at least a minimum of two times per week. And why is this such a politically difficult question? Well, let's start with that. When a Haitian hears this question, what they really hear is, why can't you get this together? And secondly, they hear implied within this question the idea that Haitians are somehow incapable or beneath normal people. Of course, this is often not what people are asking. But as those of us that are in marriages, we know that often what is said and what is heard can be very different. In regards to this question, there are a host of different people with different thoughts as they consider it. At one far extreme, there are those with malintent. I don't really think any of my friends or acquaintances really fall into this. There are those that ask this question, and while they might not say it out loud, they secretly question whether Haitians are inherently less capable or valuable than Americans. While certainly this is wrong, it's worth noting that there are many people in the world who think like this, even if they don't say it. On the other hand is another extreme. There are those who don't wish to view Haiti as poor at all. I've heard many people when asked the question of why Haiti is so poor, instead rephrase it as to why Haiti is so rich. Their idea generally revolves around the cultural richness of Haiti and the warmth of its people. And I certainly agree with this, and I have many Haitian friends who would as well. I think outside of economics, there are many, many things to love about Haiti. However, there is the inescapable truth that Haiti is economically less well-off than its neighbors and usually by orders of magnitude. We are three times poorer in regards to average income than the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, Honduras. There are also Haitians that when asked this question are offended because when they go to Haiti, there are resorts, hotels, and places of vast wealth. And this is certainly true, and we should not think that all of Haiti is only poor. Yes, there is a sliver of the population that is well-off, but mostly these are the extremely wealthy or Haitians that live in other countries coming to visit. However, Having worked with everyday people in Quadibouquet, Haiti, I see that the vast majority of the population, let's say 90 plus percent, never experience these riches. And so outside of these two extremes, those that maybe have a feeling of racial superiority or those who want to ignore the poverty of Haiti, we find the majority of people who ask this question. They are simply trying to understand why Haiti, in comparison to other countries, has an average income which is significantly lower than the rest of the world. And I think this question is worth exploring. I'm hopeful by discussing it in a measured and thoughtful manner, we can avoid some of the pitfalls that surround this question. The story we're going to tell today is going to be inherently incomplete. We're talking about the history of a country that's been around for 200 years. There are dozens and dozens of strands that lead to where we are today. But for the sake of time, we're going to focus on some of the most pertinent threads of that tapestry. And we're going to attempt to do this somewhat chronologically to help make sense of this. As you may know, Haiti was the first place that Christopher Columbus landed on his famous 1492 journey. At the time of his landing, Haiti was inhabited by the Taino people, 
a Native American group which lived peacefully on the island. Now, certainly elsewhere in the New World, Native Americans were more warlike, but not here. Columbus set about enslaving the Native population with the goal of collecting gold and cotton. Whenever Natives did not meet their quota for cotton or gold, their hands were cut off and they were left to bleed to death. Over the next few decades, an even worse scourge than the Spanish affected the Native population. Smallpox and other diseases cut the Taino population from several hundred thousand down to less than 500 by 1550. The Spanish looked around and found no labor. As we all know, they began importing slaves from Africa to populate the island, and the territory changed hands to the French. Over the next 150 years, the slavery on Haiti grew into a massive business. The slave population outnumbered the free population by 10 to 1, a ratio unthinkable even in the American South, where three freed people were present for every one enslaved person. And even if we decide to consider it on a scale of wickedness in regards to other places of slavery, the institution on the island of Haiti was unbearably evil. The heat, the backbreaking labor, and the sugar fields led slaves to have an average life expectancy of two years after getting off the boat from Africa, their population dwindling every year. This, in turn, necessitated more and more importation of slaves. Finally, in the late 1700s, the slaves rose up. Over the next decade, they beat back Napoleon and the French forces, and in 1804, the war ended in Haiti declaring independence. And here, I think, is our first stopping point. Colonization, slavery, you could call both of these the original sins in the New World. If you look at a list of the poorest countries in the world today by GDP per capita, every single country was previously colonized except Ethiopia. And we can see the effects of colonization all over the world. For example, let's look at Southeast Asia. Thailand was the only country that was never colonized. Its average income is significantly higher than its neighbors of Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia. And so, yes, colonization is a major factor in Haiti's current position. But let's look at Haiti's position in regards to other colonized countries and what might be different about it. Particularly, let's examine other black republics. Let's look first at independent states. Angola, 1975. Zimbabwe, 1980. Morocco, 1956. Zambia, 1964. 18 different countries in 1960. Barbados, 1966. Haiti, 1804. Did you notice? Particularly when compared to African countries, Haiti gained its independence 150 years before anyone else. In fact, it was the second country to gain independence in the Western Hemisphere, after the United States. And the circumstances of the transition to independence were vastly different. The world was a different place in 1960, as compared to 1804. Slavery was legal in every country in the world in 1804. By 1960, although racism was still alive and well, nearly every country had had a cultural shift in their view towards the evils of slavery. And so, we have to think about how this affects the transition of power. In 1804, France left Haiti, but prior to their departure, nearly every new citizen had been a slave, forbidden to read, write, or go to school. The state had prohibited them to participate in commerce, not even to speak of government. The economy of the country had been built solely on the idea of unpaid labor working in sugar fields, and the economic prospects of farming sugar without unpaid labor was barely viable. Every new citizen had been subjected to terrible trauma, watching their friends and family killed in slavery and then subjected to a war of independence in which torture had been commonplace. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, 
the country finds itself free. Take this in comparison to the transition towards independence in the 1960s. Certainly, I'm not saying this was done perfectly. There was obviously still racism present. But at the very least, the world was different. There was an expectation that there should be at least some period of transition. Native peoples had at times, albeit rarely, been allowed to participate in government and go to university prior to independence. At the very least, they were allowed to go to school and learn to read and write. And, of course, there was a spectrum here. Perhaps the English did this better, but at the other end of the spectrum, you had the Belgians, who in place of helping a transition in Congo, preferred to meddle and stir up dissension. How these countries were transitioned certainly had an impact on their current position in the world. Now compare the outcomes of a country whose citizens had been brutalized and forbidden to go to school or learn to read, and who gained independence through war, with another country whose citizens were educated and were slowly transitioned into the government. Again, no one's saying that any of these styles of colonial government were good in their own right. But there was certainly a sliding scale in terms of transition. And let me be clear, I'm on the side of the Haitian slaves here. It was the fault of the French that they were not allowed to read or write or participate in the government. Slavery was abominable everywhere, but particularly on the island of Haiti. And I salute the Haitian soldiers who were able to throw off their yoke. But certainly, the manner in which the rest of the world handled this has after effects for today. You can look at this even in one narrow lens. The countries that had been colonized and gained their independence in the 1960s had had some level of capital investment. Roads had been built, railroads instituted, even in some places electricity had been wired. Yes, I think we can all agree that this was a paltry trade for the lack of independence, but I suppose it was better than receiving nothing. Port-au-Prince, Haiti's capital, has often been said to be the largest city in the world without a sewer system. And why is this? Well, pretty much every other colonized country had gained independence in the mid-1900s, when these investments had already been made. Nothing of that sort had been done by 1804. The road between Haiti's two largest cities, Port-au-Prince and Cap Haitian, is still difficult to pass through. While Haiti is not in the bottom 10 poorest countries in the world by average income, its electrical production is one of the lowest in the world. Again, and I keep saying this, colonization was an evil and left countries poorer than their counterparts. Yet, if we only took countries that were colonized, there were some that were set up more for success than others. And unfortunately, Haiti is on the far end of that spectrum. On the next episode, we're going to speak about Haiti in the years after independence. As you can imagine, joining the world stage as a black nation in 1804 was very different from joining the world stage as a black nation in 1980. Certainly, there were still challenges in 1980, but the racism present in 1804 is a little hard to imagine. And before we close this episode, I want to go back to what we were talking about in the first part of this episode. This question of why Haiti is poor is a dangerous one. As we ask it, we need to make sure that we're asking, and not just asking rhetorically to make the point that people are beneath us. We need to be asking why the system in Haiti is not set up for success. As I've said before, it was challenging for me to live in Haiti and realize that if I had been born in the mountains of Haiti, I would have been born into a situation that would not have allowed me to succeed as I have in the U.S. And lastly, as many of us know who have been to Haiti, we should remember that we are asking why Haiti is only economically poor. But we must remember that our Haitian friends often have other things that make them rich. Strength, resilience, perseverance, and creativity. Thank you for listening. Every Wednesday morning, we publish a new narrative from life here. 
We are simply telling stories as we have seen them in Haiti. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history, and there are many Haitian voices that can tell the story of Haiti in all its facets, and we encourage you to seek them out. As we made this episode, some names may have been changed to protect confidentiality. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends or give us a rating wherever you find your podcasts. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti or to get involved, visit us on the web at lightfromlight.me. Thank you and God bless.